This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hi, Ariana. Hey, Alex. (laughs) Okay, we have this piece of clothing here on the table. What is this garment you're showing me? It's this white mock neck zip-up jacket that I've had for years now. It used to be a white color. Now it's sort of cream. And it's got blue and purple embroidered flowers. It really gives me grandma home vibes. Sometimes we need that. It's my favorite jacket. But, you know, now... I'm seeing it doesn't look exactly pristine. Yeah, you'd be right. I think it's been peeling up a bit just because I've been washing it in warm water and a detergent pod for, you know, all the years that I've had it. Warm water, huh? I mean, I'm kind of more of a cold water girl myself, but okay. Yeah, and I learned that when you wash your clothes, like, you know, when I wash my jacket, they release hundreds of thousands of microfibers into the environment with every single wash. And so some of those microfibers are made of synthetics, like acrylic and polyester, like my jacket's 100% polyester, meaning those tiny fibers are microplastics. Huh, that kind of makes sense because I know that a lot of clothes are made with at least some plastic now. Yeah, that's so true. And I learned that the thin feeling that I'm getting, you know, with my jacket now, it's because the synthetic fibers are rubbing off and washing away with every single cycle. Every time we wash our clothes, they're shedding more and more of these tiny fibers that enter the environment. I talked to an expert about this. We now have realized that we have contaminated the entire uh, world's oceans with these tiny little particles of polyester textiles. That's Dr. Peter Ross. He's been an ocean pollution scientist for over 20 years. And he says, just like bigger plastics, the microplastics won't break down for hundreds or even thousands of years. Thousands of years? That's a really long time. But I'm going to bet that scientists are trying to make sure it's not this way forever. For sure. They're trying to change how we wash our clothes and even what they're made of. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osula. And I'm Ariana Spudu. Today, we're talking about the future of our clothes and how we can reduce the microplastics they leave behind from weave to wash. Stay tuned. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Okay, so our clothes have something to do with microplastics, but what exactly are microplastics? So a microplastic is a piece of any type of plastic less than five millimeters in length. That's anything smaller than the pink eraser top of a pencil. And it has the same properties as any other kind of plastic. Some research says that plastic does break down, but it takes hundreds of years, while others make the case that it's completely undegradable. Either way, it's an issue. 
When I've heard about microplastics before, I thought they were mostly big pieces of plastic that have gradually broken down into smaller pieces. But you're saying that's only part of the problem, right? If we put, let's say, a t-shirt under a microscope, we'd see a bunch of fuzzy-looking threads. The fibers that make up those threads are what break off and land directly into our water systems. What is it about washing that makes the fibers break off? Things like the type of washer you use, the water temperature, the detergent, and the material itself that you're washing could affect how many fibers are shed. So because my jacket's made of something like polyester fleece, the fibers are looser than, say, like a nylon shirt, so they're more likely to break off. I spoke to Dr. Francesca DeFalco about why it's such a big deal that our clothes are shedding. She's a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Plymouth in the UK, studying biodegradable plastics. During the washing process is a combination because you have the mechanical action, you have the the water, um, so that help the fibers to move uh, from the structure and be released. There can also be some chemical action due to the detergent. And it doesn't stop there. DeFalco says the microfibers are released throughout everyday use. So when we use our clothes, we rub on them, and that releases even more of these tiny fibers, which start small and break down when they enter the environment. When, when they are bigger dimensions, you can see them. But when you go, of course, to nanofibers, it becomes very difficult to collect them uh, and to quantify them, and so even more difficult to try to trap them in any way. When we talk about nanofibers, we're talking about nanometers. And that's about a million times smaller than a millimeter. So remember that pencil eraser top from earlier? A million times smaller than that. Something that no one can see with the naked eye. And these tiny fibers are coming in every shape, size, and color. Around 60% of our clothes have some kind of synthetic material, like polyester or nylon, all types of plastic. So they break off more during washing. They get into the water. Then what? They end up where all water goes. Surprise, the ocean. In the ocean, microplastics coming from laundry make up almost 35% of primary microplastics, according to research done by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Primary plastics are ones released into the environment already at that small, microscopic level. Dr. Peter Ross worked as a federal research scientist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada for 16 years. But he's now a senior scientist with the Raincoast Conservation Foundation. And in his research, he's seen just how widespread they really are. Microplastics are found on the far corners of the of the planet, from the North Pole to the South Pole, from mountaintop to uh, the deepest trenches in the oceans. Fish, seabirds, marine mammals, terrestrial mammals, invertebrates, crabs, shellfish. Wow. So microplastics truly are everywhere, and they've been found in a lot of animals? That seems not great. You're right. It is not great. And these tiny, tiny plastics get into our water, and they're released into the ocean through wastewater systems. In 2020, a research team in Australia estimated that 14 million tons of microplastics exist on the whole ocean floor. And in Ross's own research, he found that in one of the most remote regions, the Arctic, there's a surprising amount of plastic pollution coming from these synthetic fibers. They're all different shapes and sizes and colors, which makes it very, very difficult. And they've even been found in us. Scientists have detected microplastics deep in lung tissue and even in our blood. They're not totally sure what the risk is to humans, but we know they're in us. In ecosystems, though, it's clear that they're not a good thing. Microplastics in the ocean affect animals and what they eat. Ross says when microplastics are ingested, a range of things can happen. 
Some plastics have endocrine-disrupting contaminants in them, like bisphenol A or phthalate esters. They might have flame-retardant chemicals in them or dye. So there has been a lingering concern about the possibility that microplastics, if ingested by invertebrates or fish or seabirds or marine mammals, might deliver these endocrine-disrupting compounds to that organism and threaten their health. And on top of that, since animals can't metabolize the plastics, the particles can cause physical damage to their organs. And researchers at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee found that after microplastics do, you know, pass through some fish, those fish have lower amounts of protein and minerals in their bodies afterwards. Ross says that many of these animals can't really avoid ingesting microplastics. Now, we as humans, other than the very, very young uh, toddlers, for example, learn that we shouldn't be eating plastic objects uh, like bottle caps or cigarette lighters or, or other things like this. Whereas in the natural world, if we have, think about zooplankton or small fish or larger fish or marine mammals, they may not learn until it's too late. And these tiny pieces of plastic can get biofouled, meaning microorganisms like bacteria or algae grow on them. That makes them an even more appealing snack for an animal. And that's ultimately our worry, that these little fibers are taken up at the bottom of the food chain and become a problem uh, for their health. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden, we've got things that support ocean productivity and ocean health as being at risk from these tiny little fibers that are mistaken for food by zooplankton or small fish. Those food chains deliver seafood to our table. And this means that the health of our food webs, the supply of our fish, the quality of those fish, the quantity of those fish, may be impacted by our own laundry. And it doesn't end there. In fact, a recent study suggests that whales off the coast of California might be ingesting up to 10 million pieces of microplastic per day. We've been talking a lot about microplastics from our clothes, but not all clothes are made from plastic, right? Like, I think I have a cashmere sweater somewhere because sometimes I'm fancy. That cashmere is an animal fiber, like wool. There's also natural plant-based fibers like cotton, breathable, we know it, we love it. And then there's man-made cellulosic fibers, which are actually made from wood pulp, which make fabric like viscose used in things like soft summer skirts and bedding. But a lot of these are blended with synthetic fibers, aka plastic. Jeans made of pure cotton would be super stiff, so companies blend in synthetics like spandex to give them some stretch. And you'd think that fibers made from plants and animals wouldn't be an issue, but multiple studies show that natural fibers are seen a lot in oceans. Dr. Francesca DeFalco says it might be because of how they're treated. And the main hypothesis is that uh, uh, since these fibers undergo a lot of uh, um, manufacturing textile processes like finishing and there is the dyeing uh, um, and all the other textile processes, um, at the end they are not so natural anymore. For people trying to figure out a more sustainable alternative to synthetics, both DeFalco and Ross say natural fibers might not be it. So at the end, they persist in the environment. Maybe they can biodegrade at the end, but maybe they took more time to do it. So understanding the ups and downs of every product, whether it's cotton that uses lots of pesticides and water, whether it's wool that requires a, a heavy chemical treatment. So in other words, every material has its downsides. Right, so there's no obvious solution, but scientists aren't satisfied with that. We'll get into the new avenues they're looking at and how we buy and what we wash might change. That's after the break. 
This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Ariana, what's a silver bullet here? How can our clothes still do all the things we need without dumping microplastics into the ocean? The researchers I've spoken to tell me, ideally, it would be a new material or some new factory process, some product that's built like a synthetic but can break down like a natural fiber should. It would have to be affordable, durable, and producible. That sounds great. I will buy a shirt of that. And I would too. But it turns out that checking all of these boxes is really hard. And there's a lot of companies out there trying to do it. Some are making new biomaterials to replace where we would usually put plastics, while others are trying to change the surface of what we already have. The answer has to be sustainable. That's Dr. Malik Demarel, and he's working on the first option. So we were looking uh, to create a a new material uh, that can be engineered, bioengineered, and at the same time it can have some of the high performances that, um, you know, polyester and other fibers has. He's a chair of biomimetic materials and professor of engineering at Penn State. He's also a co-founder of Tandem Repeat, a synthetic biology company coming up with new materials that can reduce microplastic shedding. One new fabric they've come up with is called Squitex. Just to be clear, we do not harm squids. To make it, Demerel's team synthesizes genes in a lab based on those found in the suction rings of squids. He puts those genes in bacteria, which then produce a protein that can be combined with other materials and spun into a fiber. Demerol's goal is to create a biosynthetic fiber similar to silk. It would be self-healing, biodegradable, with a low ecological footprint. For now, his company's testing how well the material could replace plastic in things other than clothes, like sunscreen and shoes. They're figuring out which use would be the most successful in the market and focusing on scaling that up. Okay, sounds promising. What has to happen before I can actually buy something made from Squitex? So for Squitex and other companies tackling this, a big obstacle is making it an appealing option for people outside of how eco-friendly it is. Making green products, uh, the biggest problem is how to make them, uh, you know, at the same price that other synthetic alternatives are. But that's potentially years down the line. It took 10 years to come to this level, and it will take some more time to make it into the market. Okay, nice. Maybe in the next few years, people can buy some socks made from Squitex. But there's got to be more, right? Like, what other kinds of fabrics are in the works? Yeah, there are. It's not just startups. There's some established clothing companies in the ring. For one, there's Pangaea. It's a sustainable brand that's become popular with celebrities like Harry Styles, Kourtney Kardashian, and Justin Bieber. It's loungewear made from things like fruit leaves, microalgae, and food waste, just to name a few. Pangaea recently tried to solve the microplastic puzzle. Last year, it partnered with MTIX, a company that works in materials and processing technology, to change the clothes already being made. I spoke to Dr. Amanda Parks, the chief innovation officer at Pangaea, about the company's approach. Spoiler alert, it involves a laser. 
imagine seeing like, you know, it's, you know, sort of zoom, zoom, zoom in on uh, on a textile where you can see the individual yarns and fiber, right? You know, the tiny threads, you can see everything's kind of, you know, sort of sticking out. It's kind of looks fuzzy, right? And you can imagine why, if you put that through the washing machine, those edges would break off. And then you look at the post-treatment and it's like slick and sealed and, you know, there's nothing to break off. Park said the process is reducing microfiber shedding in fabric by about 30% during their initial trials. Though Pangaea won't publish their research on the technique until later this year. A laser basically kind of runs across the surface of the textile, which then superheats the the system and, and whatever the gases combine there with the frequency and, you know, all the conditions inside of that chamber will then work to change the surface. That new surface could mean less microplastics shed from all of our synthetic clothes. And if you're buying an enhanced version of your favorite sweater or T-shirt in the future, she hopes you wouldn't even notice. There's no physical difference in touch or color or finish or, you know, you can't you can't sense it in your eye or in your fingers. It doesn't change anything about the fabric itself that you can feel or see. In the future, they're planning to offer the process out to other fashion brands and reduce microplastic shedding across the industry. We could have it as a service. Um, there's a lot of different ways it can be integrated, um, you know, into thinking about how the machine runs. We can also do further licenses and licensing of software, right? There's a, there's a natural kind of tech extension model of this as well. And the whole point is to share it because that's how you make change. <laughs> but is clothing treated with this more expensive than traditional clothing? Yes, which is a huge challenge companies and researchers have to consider. Parks thinks the big hurdle to getting these new fabrics on the market is the so-called valley of death in manufacturing. It happens a lot with new products. It's where an innovation needs a new system to make that technology, which requires more time and funding that companies might not have. So that very cool technology just dies on the vine. You have to do an analysis and count in, okay, you might not be able to really commercialize this for another three years because you have to get the funding and you know, build an entirely new factory system. But until entirely new types of fibers are able to scale up and become less expensive, she sees this treatment as a more likely option. The real win-win objective is if the fabric's already getting treated for something else, we can literally throw in the microfiber reduction as almost like free gift with purchase. But there are companies making clothes from bio-based materials like wood pulp or biodegradable things like algae and food waste, right? Even Pangaea, like you said, has a bunch. So do those options work? They do, but so much of it is scalability. The price of these is a lot more than people are willing to spend on a piece of clothing. So a shirt made with plant pulp and algae can retail for over $100, and a hoodie from Pangaea is even more. These are options, but for lots of people, the price tag isn't as sustainable as the material might be. And there's lots of clothes being made from recycled materials. But Dr. Amanda Park says they aren't perfect. The more, the more recycled things are, the m- number of times, the more, they, more easily they tend to break down and make more microfibers. So we're kind of, by reutilizing it, we're in a, in a textile, we're potentially exacerbating the problem. While we're waiting for the next great clothing material to hit stores, what can we do now to slow the flow of microplastics? There's a few options right now getting traction. First off, Dr. Peter Ross says that from his pollution research, even just the way we wash our clothes can be a way of stopping microplastics from getting into the environment. Washing with cold water, washing with less soap, washing with a liquid detergent. Um, these are all things that can help reduce the loss of fibers by perhaps uh, 50% uh, from one's laundry. 
Ah, so I did have the right idea using cold water. Yeah, (laughs) you kind of did. But that's something else companies are looking at. For people wanting an extra way to catch microfibers, washing machine filters are an option. They're designed to capture the fibers before being released into the water and can be placed as a laundry bag or ball in the machine or an attachable filter outside your machine. Huh, I've heard of those. I just wasn't sure they actually worked. Yeah, they've blown up a little bit in the last few years. Along with the filters, washing machines are starting to change too. Last year, Samsung rolled out an enhanced version of its machines equipped with something it calls EcoBubble, a feature that the company says reduces microplastic shedding by about half. It's available in Europe now, and a Samsung spokesperson told us availability will, quote, gradually expand globally. And machines with built-in filters are rolling out too. The first one on the market comes from Archilic, a Turkish appliance company, and it says the machine is designed to pick up 90% of fibers shed. And governments might require new machines to have those microplastic filters too. Lawmakers in California have been trying to pass laws requiring filters in state-contracted machines, but so far, they haven't gotten enough support. France has been more successful. Starting in 2025, all new washing machines sold there will require a filter. It's the first country with this kind of rule. So this filter, it's like a lint trap? Like, you pull it out and then you just throw the stuff away? I mean, pretty much. It's similar to what we already do. Dr. Francesca DeFalco looked at them in her research, too. Of course, it's a solution that we need to apply well. Otherwise, we, uh, I mean, we can re- capture these fibers before they're released to the water. But if we mismanage them after, during their disposal, we can anyway release them to the environment. There's still the possibility for the microplastics to end up in the ocean. If the filters aren't cleaned properly or emptied out often enough, they're not as effective. Some companies actually have you send the filter cartridges back to them, and they'll get rid of the fibers that the filters catch. So new materials, new filters, new wash cycles. Are these enough to stop adding microplastics to the environment? By themselves, no. Altogether, maybe. And researchers aren't done coming up with more solutions. We're in this state where we need all the innovations. We need, you know, we need every new material. We need every new process tech. Um, and we need to be addressing it, coming at it from all different solutions. It's normal that we don't have all the answers. It's normal that there are still things that we need to understand. Um, it's normal that it's a complex problem. But since it's complex, we really need uh, the effort of everybody. If we don't figure out how to turn off the tap, uh, we're really dooming our oceans to becoming cluttered uh, with, uh, with plastics. So if we don't get a handle on source control, uh, we're kind of hooped. So there's not just one fix here. This problem has so many different layers, and we're going to need lots of different solutions. Maybe my next beloved fleece will be made of something completely different. Are you, have you come like emotionally to terms with letting go of this jacket? After doing all the research I did for this, yeah. Ooh. Now I can part with it. In a, in a sustainable way, I'll try to part with it. <laughs> The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced and reported by Ariana Asparu. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Like the show? Tell your friends to subscribe. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. I'm Alex Osula. Thanks for listening.